0: You're listening to Process with Broads and D-Ray.
1: What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode five of Processed. And some juicy news came out over the weekend, which got me super excited to record this podcast. And, And it wasn't just that super juicy news. There was some... Ugly news as well, but it sparks conversation. The playoffs, the playoffs would have started this weekend, and it's a shame that we do not get to experience an electric Wells Fargo Center, and not just the Wells Fargo Center, but any arena out there. D. Ray, it's very disappointing.
0: Yeah, man, it's crazy. It it hurts to hear, and the fact that you just said Wells Fargo, I completely forgot. Damn, we probably would have been opening them up first round. That. What can, what can you do?
1: Well, who knows you? if we would have been home for the first round for the first couple games. If we landed in that sixth seed, we might have been having to go on the road and play Indiana or something. Who knows if we would have started the season off in South Philadelphia?
0: Nah, I have ended like that. I think we were six when you know when the season got called. I guess is the best way to put it at this point, but I don't think they would have finished there. I think we would have finished high enough.
1: I hope you're right. I would like to think that way too, but I remember how brutal some of those games were in the season. And you just never know. But I do agree. Like when you think about it and you process this team, they are better than the the Indiana Pacers, right? I mean, they're better than the Pacers.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I didn't have the Nets finishing out like that. I didn't have the Pacers. The only teams that I saw ahead that were like, they seemed consistent Miami, Milwaukee, Toronto. What about Boston? I mean, Boston was a coin toss. Boston was, was I don't know, I don't know. Was, something always seemed kind of shifty or shaky about them. They're a solid team, but I, I just... What's wow, what's
1: a little disrespectful to the Boston yeah. Celtics. No, I
0: am not know disrespect. I'm calling like I see it. It's just something about them just... It has it has like a real deck of cards feel to it, like at any moment, you know?
1: But what if they have that royal flush?
0: Oh, they can do that. They're Boston. They're lucky for that. You know what I mean? That's what they're known for. <laughs> <laughs> pulling that off. But it's just I don't know. A part of it might be wishful thinking too at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think you know? that's what you're leaning towards. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. A little bit of wishful thinking there. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's a shame that we don't get some playoff basketball. I I there's something to be said about the way that I pace around the room during a playoff basketball game. I can't sit down. It's very similar to how I feel on Sundays with the Eagles. It's the third quarter, fourth quarter, and my heart starts racing. I get this oozy feeling in my stomach. When it's playoff ball, I mean, I'm standing in front of my TV two inches away trying to, like, read all the all the plays and the defenses. But then here comes the commercial. I got to pace around the kitchen. I'm stopping. I can't sit still. <laughs>
0: That's what makes it so exciting, man, because you know how high the stakes are. And it might be a series, but like those games just hit different. They just hit different that time of year.
1: You know what it is? When you watch regular season ball, it's up and down. It's back and forth. And it's fun. Don't get me wrong. This this is possession by possession, dribble by dribble. And I watched the 82-game regular season that way. But as you stated, it hits different when it's the playoffs and That one possession that happens in the third quarter, that could be the difference because what if that one possession you mess up, there's that 18-6 to run, and boom, before you know it with the blink of your eyes, that's the game.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that time of year, you're not playing with teams that are just letting those type of things slide and not care about it. Every team that has that happen to them care because they had to fight all year to get there. Playoff basketball, you hear a lot of people straight up say they don't watch the NBA throughout the regular season. Man, you aren't some of the people. But some people really don't pay attention throughout the regular season. But come playoffs, like you said, that eyes are glued to the screen.
1: As they should be. And it's a shame that we do not get to... Uh, we do not get to see that. And you, you, you hear this news about the 76ers not refunding tickets because the games are technically postponed. They're not canceled. And here's the thing that makes no sense. If they are to be played out eventually... It would be without fans, so it makes no sense that the Sixers or the the ticket companies are not refunding people these
0: tickets. I'm gonna play devil's advocate. At the end of the day, what happens if they get those tickets towards next year? Or at the end, it's not it's not called just yet. It's not called just yet. And there is something to be said about being a little too optimistic. There is something to be said about having a little too much hope, and you got to be realistic. But it's not canceled just yet it's it's
1: it's not canceled you're right but here's the situation it is it's it's not canceled but we all understand that these games that are going to be played won't be in it might not even be in philadelphia they're talking about quarantining the whole league in in florida or it's not going to be fans if it is in philly
0: but they said all right if they said it's not going to be fans if it is in philly for sure not if they're debating and trying to figure it out if they said there won't be fans Hell no. Getting people their money back. That shit don't make no sense. But if there's a chance, because you said several times in there, might. They might do it in Florida. They might not play it out. There. If there's a chance that there is, they're going to hold on, you know, for dear life.
1: Okay, so what you're saying is it's too premature right now to start crushing the organization and ticket companies because nobody knows yet what is going on. And specifically, Adam Silver came out and said that. No one knows what we're doing right now. It's it's too early to make this big-time decision. So it's not like they're saying we'll never give money back. It's right now we're, we're postponed, so we're going to wait and see how this plays out.
0: Exactly, exactly. And to me, that's fair. That's just. But if it's on some shit like oh, we're going to play the games, and if we do play these games here, it's going to be without fans, you're giving people their money back. Okay,
1: okay, all right. I I can see that. I I can totally see that being fair. It's Here's my mind, though. My mind goes to, well, we know how this is going to play out. They're going to somehow find some bullshit way to not give people their money back. So we feel like, oh, okay, they're going to be right about this. They're going to find the proper way to handle it. Are they, though? Are they actually...
0: Yeah, nah, if they don't, that's shysty. That's another level of grimy if they don't. Especially with what's going on right now. Because they ain't missing no mills. You, know, yeah. you know, those people, they ain't missing no mills. It's the people who spent their money on, you know, season tickets or they had a couple games lined up for somebody special in their life or something like that. That's what that type of money is about. So you, you don't you do not do that to people. But yeah. it's not final.
1: Right, it's not final. And yeah. speaking of finals and speaking of Michael Jordan, even though nobody was actually speaking of that. That was my probably worst transition we've ever had. (laughs) The MJ documentary drops. We're recording this on Sunday morning to put out on on Monday. So it drops tonight. It's going to be late night. And we didn't want to record and talk about it for tomorrow because not everyone can see it instantly tonight. It gives them a couple days to DVR it and watch it. And then we'll talk about it on the Thursday pod. But, man, I am so excited. You saw the quote about... How MJ knows that people are gonna think he's an absolute dick. I mean, that's great. That is just fantastic to hear. That means this thing is gonna be juicy as hell.
0: I think it's gonna be amazing and it's so funny with this era of social media, everybody talking about you constantly heard about MJ's legacy. And if they had social media around and people wouldn't look at him the same, holy shit. They look he did. Like imagine if somebody was just taking a Snapchat for several years throughout the Chicago Bulls run. That is gonna be this this is going to be amazing. And did you heard the MJ himself owned the uh the footage and wouldn't release it until he saw the 2016 parade for the Cavs. And they said he supposedly approved it. Then I don't know if that's true, but he's a ill he's a ill if he waited until that parade to be like, all right, we got to show it.
1: Well, that just it kind of makes sense if you think yeah. about this whole conversation about MJ and LeBron and. Listen, as much of a LeBron James guy as I am, I I don't knock Michael Jordan. I never got to experience the Michael Jordan era, and I'm not dumb. I understand how powerful and lethal he is. You talk about Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, you talk about like the ultimate, ultimate highs of any sport ever. And Michael Jordan is in that era, Tiger Woods. I mean, that's the type of conversation he's in, if not maybe the highest of all of those players. So just because I'm a LeBron James guy, it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate MJ. I just never got to experience and live through it, which changes the way that I feel about it because I wasn't involved during that whole prime of what he did.
0: Yeah, it's 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 funny how you put it like that. We didn't see that. We didn't see that. We didn't live through that. So it was kind of hard to speak on it too much. You watched the games, but you weren't around for that era. So I, I don't know for me. You know, I'm still a Kobe guy with both of those guys. I just with LeBron and Michael Jordan, I feel like with Michael Jordan was ahead of his time and he paved the way in a lot of ways. But I always bring up the fact that Michael Jordan has Scottie Pippen for all six of those. People shit on Scottie Pippen, which is crazy to me. The fact that you can shit on a Hall of Famer. How? You know what I mean? Like, how? How do you consider this guy that just they try to say that he didn't do anything and he carried Jordan's jock and all that? Jordan has some dogs around him you know what i mean he still was the goal he has some dogs around him for all six of those championships
1: you know how i always try and compare myself to somebody there's one guy i always forget about and it's dennis rodman i feel like that's almost a great example a little bit that i always forget about And you talk about dogs i mean come on now without the goofiness you know i'm not going to start dyeing my hair all different colors and do all that stuff you know hey it's each their own but on the basketball court in his prime i feel like that's a good comparison
0: it's amazing. It's amazing comparison. Like Dennis <laughs> Rodman, but seriously, they wouldn't have won without him. It's just, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not negating it. I'm not saying that Jordan wasn't what he was. He's amazing. Um, But the guys he had around him, he had a crew. People forget Horace Grant. People forget Steve Kerr. People like, yeah. You know I mean? Like, it was some names on them, on them teams that they were just, they were just at another level. And I'm not saying that he wasn't at the helm of that, but I don't think that team gets enough credit. And I hopefully throughout this documentary, you'll start to understand he had a team around him. You know what I mean? That's
1: no, a really good point. It, it really is. And, you know, people need to realize when you say something like that, when you want to appreciate a team that doesn't take away from how great MJ was. You can appreciate the team and still appreciate Michael Jordan to the greatness that he was. And, and we'll dive more into that as the series goes on. I'm super excited to watch it tonight. But let's dive into the meat and potatoes of this bad boy. And J.J. Redick was on the Athletics podcast, the Athletic Sixers podcast, with Derek Bondner and Rich Hoffman. And he had some really Solid quotes that I, I really want to bring up. And before we get into like the actual quotes itself, he defended Brett Brown and he defended what he was as a coach. And I just find it hilarious that. Jimmy Butler says some things about Brett Brown, and it's instantly true because they were negative things. He didn't like a lot of the ways the Sixers kind of worked and the communication skills. And I'm not saying that Jimmy Butler was wrong, but as soon as that news comes out, instantly he's right. I can't believe it. Look at what Jimmy Butler said. He's so true. Like oh, if it's so true. Now J.J. Reddick comes out and says something positive about Brett Brown, positive about the Sixers, and it's instantly oh he was lying. He didn't mean this. He's just friends with. Brett and I can't stand that that's the way that this is going
0: yeah you can't have it both ways and that just goes to show like you said you just have it out for Brett Brown you know what I mean if, if somebody says something bad and you're like yeah I told you I told y'all but then like you said somebody says something good and it's like ah oh, he's lying your mind's already made up you weren't listening with an open air you were listening to critique and I trust JJ Reddick's um you know feelings About Bruce Brown, I guess the best way to put it, you know, from an analytical standpoint, a logical standpoint, he deals with how he deals with it. But his feelings towards him as a coach and as a man, I trust that. This is a guy who's been in the league for 14 years. He's seen some assholes. He's seen some bad coaches. He's seen some wild teammates. So for him to kind of be the middleman between the two, not necessarily liaison and messages, but their message, just kind of hearing both of them out, I I, I trust J.J. Reddick's verdict on that.
1: Now here's one thing I will say, and when we talked about Jimmy Butler on JJ's podcast, I brought this up, and now that I'm seeing JJ say these type of comments, it sort of has me questioning it once again. What was their mindset with JJ and Jimmy's podcast? Because he wasn't, during the time that Jimmy was saying all this bad stuff, JJ wasn't countering. He wasn't saying his opinion. It almost felt like when they were together talking about Brett Brown on J.J. Reddick's podcast, they were doing it on purpose to spark all this controversy in the city of Philadelphia because here he is on a Sixers podcast almost saying the complete opposite of Jimmy. Why wasn't he countering what Jimmy was saying on his own personal podcast?
0: Because I don't think it was an opinion thing with that. I think with his own personal podcast, he was asking Jimmy. He wasn't really asking to to give his feelings back like i'm asking you how you feel at the end of the day me and you doing a podcast we were both in philly last year if we don't talk about it it's crazy he kind of in a way as a friend just let him vent that's how you feel he counted him a couple times saying i don't necessarily agree with that or i see what you're saying i think he's very that's why i trust him he seems like a very level-headed dude and he seems like the guy who's not gonna really sway one way or another from uh, an emotional standpoint he's looking at the logic Like we said, it's some things that Jimmy said, if they're true, like we said to Brett Brown, that's bullshit. The thing with film, and if they didn't talk, if that story is true, then that's bullshit. I can see why that would upset a player, but I I trust J.J. Redick in the sense of, listen, man, ain't neither one of them perfect.
1: Could this have been a business decision by J.J. Redick? I feel he's a very smart man. Well, let me have Jimmy on. Let me have him talk his stuff. Let's have some red wine. Maybe he's like seducing him a little bit. Hey, Jimmy, how'd you feel about this? Pushing the buttons. And now everyone in Philadelphia sure knows about the JJ Reddick podcast. And maybe he has more listeners now. <laughs>
0: I just, I just picture somebody in a room on the late night thinking of that with their fingers touched like Mr. Burns, like, like, and I told you, and then, and then J.J.'s going to go up there, and he's going to come back to the Sixers, like, it just, like a conspiracy plot, but I love it. Hey, listen, listen, if it is, he's a hell of a chess player, hats off to him, I think that's amazing, but I think it's just J.J. Reddick being J.J. Reddick, which is that neutral dude, He. If he was a country, he'd be Sweden or or, or, or whatever the Swiss, whatever one is the neutral uh, country, he would just be on some chill shit. That's that's his personality, you know, and that's how he, he went about the situation.
1: I, I guess. I lean more towards there was something planned out with that first one. It, it, I, it's, it bothers me that he's saying the complete opposite of what Jimmy said on a whole different platform on a totally different day. There's something to be said about how that eats me alive a little bit, and I do need to question what the mindset was the first time it went around. But I think that there's some really interesting quotes, and I was telling you this off the air. Uh the other day, my girlfriend was using a highlighter and I'm making fun of her like who the hell uses a highlighter, right? And no offense if you do. I've just never been a highlighter <laughs> guy. But this this podcast brought me to the point of using one. So not only a week ago am I making fun of her. Now I need to ask her for it to use it. I printed out the quotes. Look at it, I got it highlighted. Look at me. I mean, I'm, I'm mapped out. I'm planned out. How about that?
0: I love it, man. I love it, man. You building good habits. I, I, I got mine in my notes. I, yeah. I keep, I keep the notes in the phone. But we, we building good habits, man. We take this shit serious. So let's, let's get it, man. Let's, yeah. All right. Let's so go that, quote, quote quote. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, there's a couple that really stood out to me, and and the one that I'll start with was him describing Brett Brown, and he said, "I think Brett is one of the best. I would describe him as a player's coach. He is incredibly thorough and detailed." The thing I always appreciated the most about Brett is how thoughtful he is. There is a purpose, team meetings, film sessions, practice, walkthrough. There is a purpose to your daily schedule. Everything is so thought out and meticulous. Now, this is why it bothers me that he didn't say anything because you hear Jimmy Butler talk about how, oh, well, in in film, nothing got accomplished. He called us into the meeting. Nobody said anything. Yet, here's J.J. Reddick saying that everything is thought out and processed.
0: All right, I had to hear somebody else say it. But hold on, this shit does kind of sound like propaganda. This sounds like a guy who's giving himself a way out. Or well, if you did feel this strongly, why didn't you answer it? Like I said, I'd like to think that the reason he didn't say anything on that show is, listen, bro, I brought you up here as a guest to let you vent about certain things. You know what I mean? It's not for me to check you on X, Y, and Z. And He played it neutral enough to, to get them views, and maybe it was edited out. Who knows? I'm Obviously, I'm defending J.J. Reddick to a T, but just saying.
1: And it actually ended, the quote ended with, I think it's one of the main reasons he as a coach has gotten to this level. I mean, really, you're you're talking about a veteran who has had a ton of good teams. He's been in the playoffs every single year, except for this one against the New Orleans Pelicans. So that's pretty crazy. He's been on successful teams. He's been a part of good squads, and he's seen good head coaching. There is something to be said about a veteran who's been around the league praising Brett. Now, there's one thing that that is in my head when I talk about this. We talked about it before, actually, the dribble handoff and how much that J.J. Reddick got to shoot the ball. And the offense, it was clearly generated through J.J. Reddick. And I wonder if that skews his mind to thinking, man, I really love Brett Brown because he got the ball a lot. He got to shoot a lot. He had so much freedom. It was really all about him at times in that offense.
0: I got to say this. If that is, then we have to take that same skew into account with Jimmy Butler because if that is the case and you're a guy who was getting the ball and you like it, like we talked about Glenn Robinson on the last one and we talked about his performance, yeah, that might kind of play into the fact that you don't necessarily like that. But if Jimmy Butler or J.J. Redick, they ain't got no excuse. We both said last time, J.J. Redick, I mean, sorry, Jimmy Butler had the ball in his hands a lot when they switched to the playoffs after asking for it. So he did get it. He just didn't get it when he wanted to. So I think if we take into account that J.J. Redick might be more biased towards liking him, we got to question why Jimmy Butler didn't feel that same way and why that really counts for, you know, some propaganda. But he straight up said, he said in the the interview, you know, that the article we're we're talking about, he straight up said, I would love to play for him again, which is crazy. That's crazy to me. Um, not because it's like, oh my God, how could he or anything like that? It's just for him to flat out say that kind of lets me know listen, he's he's cracking the door, you know what I mean? Philly, if y'all ever need me back, or anything like that, and we could use him, you know what I mean? We, we could use him, but it, we, we need somebody else that's going to play a little more defense too.
1: That's interesting. I never thought about him as him somewhat making a business decision throughout this podcast. Hey, maybe I say something and then Elton Brand calls it. It maybe he doesn't like what's going on in New Orleans. And we relate this back to him enjoying how the offense was ran with him. But yeah, you you have somebody literally saying, I want to play for Brett Brown again. That's saying something. And, and I think we need to be clear. Well, I will I'll say this for me. I still think it's time for a new voice. I've always defended Brett saying he's not a bad coach. I don't think he's an elite coach. I don't think he's a bad coach. I think it's time for a new voice because in sports, when you're in one organization for a really long time, it loses power. That's just nature of, of people being humans. If you have one person as a head coach for a long time, eventually the, the message runs dry and you need a new change of scenery. And, and I think that this is where the Sixers might be at so it is weird to hear that. You you kind of lean a different way with that, though, no?
0: Yeah, I just – I feel like he has it figured out. I feel like he knows them, and at the end of the day, we talk about trusting the process, trusting the process. It's something to be said about these players trusting their coach, and they're not Steph and Clay in the sense of, oh, somebody like Mark Jackson quote-unquote got them there, brought that team to a higher light, coached that team up to a higher light, and then you could let someone like Steve Kerr come in and pretty much just let the team coach themselves. This team doesn't have that level of maturity or experience – um, so for me, the whole Brett thing is all right. If it is gonna happen, it ain't time yet. There's something to be said about them trusting them. And JJ Redick really kind of shine light on it. Like, listen, at the end of the day, like it's on the coach's job to establish the culture, but it's also on the player's job. And if he's saying that, that means that y'all don't really have one. Y'all don't have a definitive one. You know what I mean? If 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 it's still a, a wonder of whose job is it to, to to establish a culture? If y'all are already talking about that, I mean, if y'all are still talking about that, then that kind of shows they're still in a process. Let them get through that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you you did mention how he stated a, the leadership thing and it's it's interesting. So the quote is, yes, it's on the coach to help establish that, but it's rare, but I'm sorry, but it's also on the players. And this isn't a knock on Joel and Ben at all, but very rarely are the best players also the best leaders. That is super rare. You are talking about like 2 to 3 players in the last 20 years. And and that that's Interesting. I don't know if I necessarily agree, though, because if you look at these these teams, and unless the two to three players he's talking about is LeBron or KD or Steph Curry or Kawhi, I think when you talk about an NBA title... In an NBA championship, your best player is your best leader. Unless he's talking about internally. We don't know what was being said in certain in certain locker rooms. You talk about, you know, you talk about your guy in Miami all the time as being the OG. Mm-hmm. Is that what he's talking about when he talks about the leader and the best player?
0: I gotta say two things. Number one, I disagree with you on the fact that the best player has to be the best leader. I don't I think don't he think
1: has it. to be, but when I think of NBA titles, I always say superstars win championships, and those superstars lead those teams to the championships. So I guess it depends on what he means by leaders. Is he talking about the locker room, people saying That's things in saying. practice, shoot around? Then it's then I,
0: okay. I, I think he's talking about more of that emotional and cerebral leader more than a person that's going to go out there and do X, Y, and Z. And it has to be a balance. Like we said before, if you're the guy who got all the advice and no game, ain't nobody listening to you. And if you're the guy who's the best but you're clearly an asshole, ain't nobody really listening to you if they don't have to. You know what I mean? So I think he's talking about a balance, but you brought up Kawhi. Kawhi is a great example, but I think about that championship Kawhi won with the Spurs. At the end of the day, his best leader on that team was the dude who's sitting on the bench for him now, Tim Duncan. That was his best leader. He actually had three leaders in front of Kawhi. But Kawhi, was, it, was, it was moving into a new era. I don't always necessarily think that the best player is the best leader. I think that the best leader on uh, Golden State is Steph Curry. I honestly think he's that guy for that emotional leader, that vocal guy, that guy that's going to rally guys together when uh, Andre Iguodala or Sean Livingston or uh, David West isn't doing it. I think he's the guy that's going to do that. But it ain't no missing that Kevin Durant's a better player. You know what I mean? I just feel that there's a degree of respect for kind of having that balance and playing that middle ground. And the second thing I'm going to say is, you said it yourself, it's a grown man's lead. It's a grown man's lead. We see the youngins get close all the time, but you're going to need some men to help you over that. That's just what it is.
1: Who was the, the leader who wasn't the best player on your 2016 run? Did you have a guy who really stood out as that guy that wasn't maybe the best player on that on that team?
0: I bullshit you not. It was a walk on.
1: Wow, wow.
0: Walk on. I bullshit you not. It was a walk on that wow. held us accountable. It's a dude named Henry Lowe. He's a what? He was a walk on that held us accountable more than shit, just as much if not more than the coaches because he was always around us. You know what I mean? He was he was a straight arrow. Don't get me wrong. Henry with the shits, like, <laughs> like he, he, you know, he like. He a fun dude. Like, when you step between them lines, the dude gonna make sure we he he's playing going over basketball it was a walk-on. It was in the championship game. Um, You know, Daniel kicks the coaches out. Daniel tells the coaches, I got this. Daniel talks to the team. And then me and Henry talk to the team. I'd be lying if I said that, if Henry, you know, if what Henry said didn't get to us more. And so people
1: people really, really, like, shut up and listen to what he had to say? Or was there sometimes thinking, dude, shut the hell up?
0: Nah, it's just he put in work. He put in work. And you know what it was about it? At the end of the day, and I hope we see there's nothing. I hope we see throughout the MJ documentary, and it's something to be said about role players and stuff like that. If those guys play this shit out there, role. They're going to be listened to. At the end of the day, we couldn't doubt. If there was an MJ of walk-ons, that was him. If there was something to be at, he was there first. If there was a a ball to dive on, he would do it. If he got thrown into the practice, not only would he perform, but he would push guys. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys that if you ask him to do something, exactly, exactly, and you ain't winning without them dudes. You ain't winning without them dudes. Like Everybody look at the the MJs and the KDs, and they're great. You need them, but it's like the team wins, and you ain't winning without a dude who's going to say, I ain't got the most glamorous role, but I'm going to play the shit out of the one I'm in.
1: That's really interesting to hear that. Out of all people, it would be it would be a walk on when it comes to <laughs> to a vocal leader and all. No, really, I mean I would think it would be maybe more of you know someone in in your role where it's not you know I'm this guy who logs forty something mm-hmm. minutes a game, but he mm-hmm. definitely adds a lot on the floor and adds a lot on the court. And it's but, everybody to win yeah. a
0: championship. You need everybody pulling that same direction. All it take is one asshole. All it takes is one dude who don't you know who don't like the scheme of the team. You and they start pulling away, and then shit going another direction. Hmm,
1: That's really interesting. All right, so, well, no, it really, really really is. But um, let's get back to a little bit of what JJ was saying. And there was a a lot of, I'm not going to say knock, but it seemed like a lot of the direction went towards maybe the roster built and how the roster was built and Elton Brand and how guys were sliding out of position. Now you have Tobias playing a position. You got this Al Horford playing a different position. And it was as if they weren't playing in the right spots, and that led to why the... Sixers had such a weird season and an unsuccessful kind of season.
0: Yeah, he kept calling. I think he kept saying the word uneven. That would make you have an uneven season, an uneven season. And like you said, he encrypted that to the idea that everybody had to keep shifting and moving. But he also said that Elton Brand's scheme might be to just build a team that can beat X, Y, and Z. And I think, like I said, I don't know Elton Brand's mind. I don't know Elton Brand personally. I don't know how he thinks. But if he is planning for the future, it's like, listen, this team is going to make the playoffs. The only thing that we're really in danger of is coming up against a Toronto or Milwaukee. Realistically, he might be looking at like, listen, this team has everything to beat every other team in the East. But those are the two teams that we have to beat. And if he called himself building a team that could deal with those guys, that kryptonite, then cool. That's what Toronto did. Listen, we need somebody that's going to help us get through everybody else in the East. Kawhi. <laughs> right, right.
1: Well, yeah, if you're a GM and you're sitting in a certain spot, say you're sitting in the fourth, fifth seed, and you know ultimately you want to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, what other question would you ask yourself other than, how do I beat the Bucks? How do I beat the Raptors? That's your job, getting out of the East. So I don't think it's a flawed mindset to go into an offseason and say, well, let me build this team to beat the Bucks, to beat yeah. the Raptors. Because if you could beat those teams, you should be able to beat the other squads. And, and I, I get that the team was really ugly at times. We talked about the offensive efficiency with certain players on the floor. Look at their record at home. And you don't have that type of record at home and just be an absolute, insanely disgusting, brutal basketball team with yeah. that type of record on their home floor.
0: Yeah, you can't do that shit. It's impossible. I I honestly think they were taking this year as calm as they were because they knew, listen, man, the playoffs. What we say in the first – we started off this podcast talking about that. The playoffs, the first thing that people are really going to be like, listen, I'm flipping a switch for. That's what it is. I ain't saying you cruise the regular season. You still got to make them, and you don't want to be a six seed or anything like that. But at the end of the day, for them, it's like, listen, there's realistically two teams that can stop us from getting there. Because we went and got Al Horford from the damn Celtics. So realistically, there's two teams on this side of the country that could stop us. Let's build a team that gets past them. Because everybody else, we don't really see it it being a problem.
1: Right, right. And I kind of want to relate this to a little bit of your Villanova experience as well with with J.J.'s words, he talked about how the roster was changing so much and all these new faces, and you have this guy, and then you add Jimmy Butler, and then you add Tobias, then you lose Robert Covington, you lose Fultz, you lose Dario, you lose him, you gain this guy. There's so many different looks. You gain Al Horford, you get Josh Richardson. There's so many different looks to this team. Have you ever experienced a time where... You know, you, you realize that a new player in the rotation changed things up. Like, have you personally experienced change so much that it affected things a lot?
0: Yeah, that first year when Jalen came in. That championship year, Jalen was, he was the point. Arch was the two guard. You know what I mean? But quite frankly, that was more Arch's natural position. He wasn't a natural point guard. He was more of a shooting guard. I played against my high school. We all seen him. He's a two. You know what I mean? He plays like a two guard. But if you got to bring the ball up, like I said, at the end of the day, you might be good at that. You might be able to do that. But the best thing you do is scoring the ball. Get him off the ball. You know what I mean? And it was his ability to adjust to that and be like, all right, that's what it takes to keep it moving. But I feel like that always happens when you're trying to build a winning team or winning culture. Ask anybody in the San Francisco area, when you thought the, you know, 10 years ago I told you in 10 years the the a Golden State Warriors going to have X amount of rings. Did you think Monte Ellis wouldn't be a part of that? Right. Like, did you really think Monte Ellis would be, Did you think David Lee wouldn't see that all the way through? You know right. what I mean? Like, that's just how it is, man. Everybody ain't going to make it. It's about finding that mix of players that play so well together and complement each other that they're going to get you there.
1: Well, it's not an excuse to the organization, but I I do think there's something to be said about how much this thing has changed. You talk about finding the right pieces, and I do think that that's true, but with the Sixers, you can talk about how these roster changes weren't just, you know, hey, let's find a a sixth man or a seventh guy to kind of fix that bench. Huge pieces and huge starting rotation changes and midway through a season and then you got 20 games left until the playoffs and you gotta figure out how Tobias will work with Jimmy I mean these are monster changes this year though you had all season long to work with Al Horford and it never got figured out so like I said this isn't an excuse but I just think it needs to at least be looked at logically when it comes to how significant these monster changes were for this team
0: who's up no doubt. I, I, I can't even argue with that. As you said, I'm starting to think of the starting lineups. I think of the Markel Fultz. I think of the Jalil Okafor. it has been some pieces that have been, all right, we're going to stake a lot on this piece. And then it didn't turn out like that, but this shit's all a gamble. You know what I mean? And the, I know I play devil's advocate for them a lot, but the, this shit's all a gamble. Ain't nobody really got it figured out. And if they say they do, they bullshitting. You know mean? <laughs> Everybody, every day in sports, like, all right, what went wrong and how are we going to fix it? You know what I mean? Somebody thumb messed up. Somebody injured. This guy not happy with his role. That girl isn't, you know, happy with how many shots she's getting. That shit, you constantly have to to just make adjustments. And it's really about the team that can keep doing that and keep kind of figuring out that combination is going to work, that's going to win.
1: Yeah, the best the best thing that I think about when you mention how people claim they have it figured out is Danny Ainge. Like this narrative that that dude knew that the Fultz thing was going to happen. And then, he, oh, come on, we were taking Tatum the whole time. Oh, yeah, you really had that all figured out. That was luck as hell.
0: Yeah, yeah. Luck of Irish. Luck of the Irish. <laughs> the I'm, not Irish. Saying, I'm not saying that. Don't get me wrong. You don't make it to that position without being a smart guy. Danny Ainge is a smart guy, but to act like Danny Ainge got some fucking crystal ball that, you know, showed up as Markel Falk showed her one day, he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to spend this shit. Like, come on, man. At the end of the day, it's like sometimes you get some, You work your ass off, and sometimes you get some, And you take the you know you take the mix of them, and you hopefully win.
1: Falks balled at Washington. He balled at Washington. At 20 points per game. I mean, the yeah. kid was special as hell. What the hell <laughs> happened? effortless what happened
0: the world may never know yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is
1: funny I I want to go back to the whole the position thing Mm -hmm. when JJ mentioned the positions and he talked about how guys are sliding in certain spots yeah do you think any of that was towards Ben Simmons yeah you do Hell yeah. See, I didn't think that at all. Because to me, I think he is a point guard. So do you think that J.J. is saying maybe Ben's not a point guard and he's playing out of position?
0: No, I just I think for somebody like J.J. Redick to see him perform as a point guard in a half court, it's like... You know, he might have to get you off the ball. You know what I mean? Like we've all said it before. And he's gonna get better with this. He's a he's a young point guard. And they, I think we we take the we take the 6'10 and the skill and the, the draft pick, and we take all that, and we bunch all that information up and forget that this is still a young point guard in a league that quite frankly at the point guard and two-guard position might be the most ill. Like you think about it, there is no night off for somebody defending a point guard or two-guard NBA. Every team you play is gonna have somebody. You know what I mean? You go to OKC, you got Chris Paul. You you go to the Rockets. You got to deal with whoever's bringing the ball up Russell Hart. hard. You know what I mean? There is no night out for that. That point guard slash two guard position. And sometimes Ben Simmons wasn't the best at that. Put his ass at the four, you know, put him inside. But it's like, how do you get him off the ball after him being on it? So, you know. So many times.
1: I'm so torn with that. I really am because mm-hmm. I, I do see him as the screener going to the basket, and I'm like, damn, he is really being effective. But if yeah. you're gonna talk about him being a four, his job now is the four. That's what he is. No longer the point guard. You get a Josh Richardson runs the point, and or whoever. Shake Milton runs the point, and you have Ben Simmons as the four. In this league, you need a stretch four like I just feel like you need a stretch four and if he's going to start knocking down those shots from three and that's going to be his job well then if that's the case then he can play point guard again because then he can knock down the three-pointer and there would be no reason to take him off the ball so that's why I'm so torn on this when it comes to Ben I, I think he he is a number one you how do you take the ball out of his hands how
0: all right I'm gonna say this I think it's no problem with that what kills me is the people who have a problem with that. They have a problem with him playing inside, not shooting that three-point thing. But then they get mad at Joe Embiid for stepping out there as the quote-unquote five and taking and making that shot. And is he taking and making that the same clip as Clay and Steph? Hell no. You know what I mean? He's not hard out there. But the fact that you can step him out and you don't have two 6'10 guys clogging up the lane for everybody else, how can you negate that that's important? You can't have both either – you don't want Joe B to shoot threes or you don't want Ben Simmons inside. You know what I mean? You can't have both. You really have to choose. I don't
1: know how you can be an NBA fan and think that centers can't shoot threes. Those people have to be 70 plus, you know, exactly. 70, 80, 90. There are times where, and this is anybody in the NBA. They shoot a three, or Joel Embiid shoots a three, and like ah, you know, bad shot selection. That that's part of basketball where ooh, maybe maybe you shouldn't have taken that one, right? I mean, that happens all the time. But in this league, that's what makes Joel Embiid special. The reason why he's such a big time force is because he has that threat to shoot the three pointer. I mean, it's just it blows my mind that people can't see how important that big man shooting a three is and he leads the league in post-ups this season he leads the league now that says one the league doesn't post up a lot and and two maybe they if, if he's posting up at the uh, almost right inside the three-point line technically that counts as a post-up my point is you know what what classifies as a post-up we Mm -hmm. don't really know that definition but all I know is everyone is the same playing field so whatever they use for Embiid they're using for all the other big men and he leads the league in post-ups that says something
0: exactly bro exactly people ain't gonna be satisfied till we get a chip and I get that like if you are going to bitch look at the look at the facts you know what I mean you can't get like I said you can't get mad at one guy staying inside then it's like oh my god the lane will be clogged up if he's in there all right, well imagine if it's two of him in there that's why the other guy steps out and shoot threes. That is the guy, but uh, I don't know, man. It's we, stressful. We just two guys talking. It's, exactly. tr- we it's two stressful. Guys talking shit.
1: And guess what? The games aren't even going on yet. I mean, imagine I how great it's going to be, or frustrating to hear certain <laughs> things, or fun if they're winning basketball games when there is kids. hoops to talk about. I mean, we're going to be on a we're going to be on a uh, who I don't know an emotional roller coaster, if you will. Uh,
0: I hope not, man. I hope, I ain't saying I hope this year is, is just smooth sailing. Cause at the end of the day, you got to be battle tested when you get to the playoffs to win. I hope this year isn't as rocky as last. Because I I will admit it was sometimes last year.
1: When you say this year, you're talking about like what it's is upcoming the... season? Okay, so yeah, okay, yeah, upcoming yeah. season. The See, NBA is...
0: season ain't coming back, man. <laughs> well,
1: I I do agree with you, but you you're hearing Adam Silver kind of keep the door open. Yeah. I I honestly have no clue. I wonder if because I I saw something about WWE being labeled as an essential business in Florida, so because of the rules they can do certain things in certain areas and you're starting to see these sports franchises somewhat going down that road and there's being meetings discussed between a lot of respected guys so I I just don't know I I lean towards you're probably right but what if by July they can get something done in one specific state and and quarantine people and get it done without any fans I mean I I just I don't know I, I hope you're wrong but I can see you being right at the same time this is just a mess it's just a mess
0: it's ridiculous it is I don't it know. is I don't I'm know all right that.
1: well anyway so to to kind of summarize JJ Reddick, I, I think that it's important to look at what he said and you can't just throw it away because it's positive stuff about Brett Brown and the Sixers Jimmy Butler, like if I'm going to say there's value in what J.J. Redick's saying, I'm also going to claim that there's plenty of value in what Jimmy Butler said as well. I think he had a lot of things that made a lot of sense, and when he claimed that there was a lot of noises, J.J. also countered, or not countered, he agreed with, and said, yeah, there are a lot of noises in there. There, there is something to be said about what Jimmy Butler was saying about the Sixers. If you agree with what Jimmy Butler says, you can't just not look at what J.J. said, and you can't just say he was lying. There's truth in both of these scenarios.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like you said, you can't can't take one without the other. And the same way that you can't just say, oh, it's all bullshit that Jimmy Butler said, it's like, all right, well, are you saying it's all bullshit what J.J. Reddick said, and he's trying to look out for his job. You can't take the Yang without the Yang. And I think you're right. I think there's a middle ground between some of the stuff Jimmy Butler said, but I think JJ Reddick was spot on with a lot of what he said. And if, do they have their own interest, their own bias? Probably. JJ Redick said he wants to play for him again. Jimmy Butler said I'll never be back in Philly. At the end of the day, they're, they're people. You know, they're people with jobs, and you got to take that into account too. But who the hell knows? Yeah. I, I feel like it's in the middle of both of them.
1: Right. Right. I definitely agree with that. It it seems like JJ though, lean more towards. Um, maybe the growth of Joel and Ben Simmons a little bit, which is what we've been saying for a long time. There is a yeah. big time development that has to happen with these stars to really bring them to the next level and the roster. It, it seemed like if there were two issues with, JJ Redick and one of them is more of an issue than the other the development thing that's the nature of the beast that's called human nature and growing as a player in the league but if there were two issues it seemed like roster construction wasn't a problem and I wonder if there is some sort of emotional tie maybe he feels disrespected that he wasn't brought back knowing they needed a three-point shooter and in his own podcast he stated that he knew when he wasn't going to be signed back as him and Elton had a conversation during that playoff time and then the other issue was was the Ben Simmons and Joel thing but what do you think about it? do you think that there's something to be said about the way he feels emotionally not being brought back and that's why he brings up the roster
0: oh yeah it's like I said the human I don't want to act like they would just deal with everything in ones and zeros it's definitely the emotional uh, component I don't know how much that really played in everything he's saying but to say that that's not a possibility that some things were kind of brought up all right why didn't you bring up the good stuff you know what I mean J.J. Reddick said in there, he kept using the word culture. It was a good culture. It was a good culture. It was weird because right after that, he said that they're still trying to figure out the coach. You know, it's, it's on the coach to do that, but it's also on the players. But he said, from what I saw, it was a good culture. Jimmy Butler didn't bring that up because at the end of the day, he's like, I'm not up here to make them look like good guys. I'm up there to make them look like assholes because that's in my best interest. Does that make Jimmy Butler an asshole? No. Does that make the Sixers good guys? No. You know what I mean? I think it's just it's a bunch of people just trying to figure shit out. You know what I mean? And sometimes it just, it don't work. But I can imagine for Jimmy Butler, if that was the truth of somebody saying, can you control him? That is something that, hell no, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And that would leave a bad taste in my mouth too. If that's true.
1: Right. The big, the big, the big if, the big if. Yeah, the quote about the culture. I would say in my two years there, we did have a, We did have a good culture, a really enjoyable culture. Two of my most enjoyable years of my career. But I can't not factor in the point that he shot the ball a lot. He had a ton of freedom, the dribble handoff. So, yeah, I mean, if I was on a basketball team and I was able to jack up three billion threes a night and be able to run all around, I would, too. You know, I would absolutely, too.
0: You'd be crazy if you didn't.
1: I know, I know. (laughs) And and there's one more that I thought was really interesting. Something, man, I'm, I'm really, can I read? It's been a while. It's been a while. You could. You could. Sometimes things may, maybe just don't work. But in my time there, I think we accomplished a lot. And I thought we were so very close to getting into the conference finals and really having a chance to win last year. So he felt like that team really could have made it happen last season. And does something have to be said about the Warriors falling apart and crumbling in the finals? I don't know if that Sixers team last year would have been able to beat the Warriors, a healthy Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Kevin Durant. But you you play the cards that you're dealt. If that's what happened, yeah, it's possible they could have won.
0: I mean, shit, I got to be honest with you. I think we're a triple dunk away from the conference finals. You know what I mean? Now, does everything on the other side of the world happen the same way? Not necessarily. You know what I mean? It's the butterfly effect. You change one thing, you change another. You know what I mean? It could have it very well been KD was healthy, and that was nothing. But we all know it would be a much different conversation if we were here saying the Sixers were the finals runner-up last year versus we got triple dunked out the way. By Kawhi. Right. And that yeah, photo man.
1: was actually photo of the year, I, mean, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. a tough photo, man. Like it yeah, like it's, as as brutal as it as it hurts emotionally, that is a sick photo. Like if you, you look at
0: like some shit from the Renaissance.
1: If you look <laughs> at every single face, I mean you just get a different expression of Kawhi leaning over Ben, Joel, Jimmy, and then you have the yeah. whole bench and the fans. And I mean, one of the most heartbreaking experiences from a sports fan's point of view but at the same time man, you got to appreciate those moments because that's what makes sports so so special at the same exact time but I want to go back to what you said real quick about how the Sixers could have made that run and and made it happen I remember making a podcast a few days after that game seven loss because the whole conversation around the city we would have won the title we would have won the title and you're right about the butterfly effect. I don't know if I can necessarily just go out there and say, well, we would have won the title. I don't know if we would have beat the Bucks. I mean, was there a good chance? Maybe, but... How am I supposed to sit here and say we would have won the finals? There was, so, there was two more series that you had to win. Two! It wasn't like you needed to win one more game or anything. You're talking about winning two more seven-game series. I get J.J. saying it because he's inside the locker room. He feels that that mojo and the team flowing. But from a fan, I don't know if I could say that they would have won. There's too much that had to happen.
0: Yeah, you can't definitively say they would have won. Like you said, you ain't talking about one game. You're talking about... At max fourteen games, at least six. You know what I mean? You ain't talking about. You ain't talking about shit. My fault. At least six. At least eight. At the end of the day, that everything could have changed. But I think that team was constructed to deal with the Bucks last year. I got them making it to the finals. They make it past the practice. At I, least it's just now. It all depends on if KD is healthy or not.
1: I I get what you're saying, but I feel like people forget about Greg Monroe and Amir Johnson's your backup five. Like it was ugly Joel Embiid leaves the floor and they go minus 280 as a team within three seconds I mean it was so bad with that bench last season I'm not saying it was impossible but I, I just feel like because we're so removed from the situation people forget about how bad the bench was and Joel Embiid and was sick one game and not sick the next game it was a lot of different factors going in there but um you know listen I'm not saying it couldn't have happened it, it definitely could have but yeah. listen here we are so anyway I think this is a good time to end episode five. Episode five already. How about it?
0: Hey man, we're we, we're are it. we are moving. We are moving. We are moving. Can't wait for actual basketballs on, but we moving.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would definitely change a lot of things. I can't wait for this thing to just start coming back to life. Just life in general. I can't wait for it to to start getting back in the right direction. But um, uh, but hey, on Thursday, I think we'll have some MJ to talk about, and I'm really excited to watch that tonight.
0: It's gonna be amazing. It really is.
1: It really, really is. I'm super pumped for it. So with that being said, thank you guys so much for watching, and we will see you next time.